Every day, we rise, challenging ourselves to work for what we believe in. At U.S. Border Patrol, protecting our borders is more than a job. It's a calling. Agents answer the call, working together to keep our country and communities safe. If you are ready for a new mission, join U.S. Border Patrol and go beyond. Learn more at cbp.gov slash careers. Blog Talk Radio. Hi, my name is Nick from the Marlins Catch Podcast. Make sure to follow us at Marlins Catch on Twitter and Instagram. For more Marlins content, check out our website at themarlinscatch.com. The Marlins Catch Podcast is sponsored by the Baseball Podcast Network. And you can follow the Baseball Podcast Network on following platforms. Instagram, Baseball Podcast Net. Twitter, Baseball Podcast One, without the T. YouTube and SoundCloud at Baseball Podcast Network. You can listen to the Marlins Catch Podcast live on blogtalkradio.com or download the Marlins Catch Podcast on Apple Podcasts. Enjoy the show. Gracias. Bro, what music, bro? There's no music. Welcome to Marlin's Catch. Thank mm-hmm. you. 
fans it looks like we've got some technical difficulties going on here uh hope you are all, all well this evening uh my name is barry nick is on the line with us right now say hello nick um error sorry about the error guys in the beginning this is nick from the mom catch podcast um uh, very sorry about that before a lot of uh technical difficulties that were happening to start the show off, so we are good now. Sorry about no theme song, but welcome back to episode number two. Um, as we are actually bringing on a guest today, um, we are actually bringing on a representative from um, the Fish Stripes Company, as we like to introduce him now. Eli, would you like to come on board and say hello to everybody? Yeah, it's great to be on, guys. Thanks for having me on. Sorry for the no delay, problem, no Eli. Problem. We're glad to have you here as well. Mm-hmm. And uh, we've got a, some questions for you. Nick, go ahead. All right. My first question, Eli, is how did you first come on board? How did you first start off being with Fist Rice? How did you, how did you um, know that you wanted to be this? Like, how did you know you wanted to start going on this direction? <clears throat> Well, Fist Stripes has been around long before I have. Uh, I, the site probably started 12 years ago. And, you know, just being your perfect destination for all types of Marlins coverage, for the analysis you want, for the reporting that you, you want. Um, but I didn't join up until about two and a half years ago. Um, just the fact that I'm, I'm passionate about the Marlins, I'm passionate about baseball, and I feel a I had a way to break it down and really entertain people and enlighten people and just have a lot of fun with the coverage. So that was in 2016. Uh, But after the 2017 season, I moved into an editor. And then it was just this past year that I took over as the managing editor. So I'm the one that's overseeing um, everything we do pretty much. Uh, Last year we put out over 1,000 articles breaking down the Marlins from all these different perspectives, from the prospects to the oldest players to the coaches, to the things happening behind the scenes in the front office and the ownership level, everything you can imagine. Uh, when you see us on Twitter, at Fish Stripes, when you see us on Instagram, at Fish Stripes, all that is me. I'm our social media voice, aside from being the writer and being the editor and the recruiter. And I'm just real proud of the staff that we've put together, a couple dozen really passionate Marlins people. And, uh, I mean, we've reached a level that, we're now credentialed media with the Marlins. We're covering games in the press box. We're interviewing players, and we're digging deeper into the kind of stories that I don't think you can get anywhere else. Great, man. Great. Uh, Barry, you want to ask next? Uh, also, yeah, um, yeah, I definitely. Like to, yeah. Um, Eli, let me ask you this. You had stated that the Marlins had shown some interest in DJ LeMahieu before he signed with the Yankees. Why would the Marlins be interested in DJ if they are in a rebuilding mode? That's a good question. Um, The best theory that I had was a little bit complicated. Um, 
But, I mean, let's just start with the basics, the fact that last year they had a payroll that was in the uh, about 95 to $100 million on opening day, and that came down a little during the season. And they didn't really fill in those that lost money that they were spending on veteran players that traded away and left via free agency. So even though they are rebuilding, and even though you want to kind of focus those assets on building a championship team a few years down the road, they have money. You know, baseball is a really healthy industry. Um, and even with the attendance issues that this team has had uh, with their TV ratings as well, uh, even with some limitations in the Miami market, it's a profitable team. And you can spend money uh, in free agency uh, to tighten up a couple holes you have on your team, even if you're not contending in that one season. Uh, someone like LeMahieu is someone that uh, if he was undervalued by other teams, he's a guy that if he performs really well early in that contract, you trade him off to a contending team and you get additional prospects to further build around. If he's a guy that ends up having a really special connection with the fan base and in the clubhouse, then um, for a really moderate price, what ended up being $12 million a year for two years that the Yankees spent, I thought that'd be a decent deal for a guy that was really well regarded with the Rockies. Uh, but the particular theory that I had is that, um, and, and it caught other people off guard as well that they were involved, uh, considering where they are in their competitive cycle. But if you look at the type of player that LeMahieu is, um, not that how productive he is because he's not on this level, but if you look at his tendencies and you really squint closely, he has a lot of similarities to Derek Jeter with the way that he goes to the opposite fields, with the way that he puts the bat on the ball, with how he's really fundamentally sound in the field. So the best theory that I have as to why they may have looked at him in particular is that's a move that maybe Jeter, all the way up top in the front office as a CEO, may have gotten involved and nudged them in that direction. And if the price fell to them, maybe on a one-year deal or one year in a club option, if the price is right, I think that's a guy they would have gone after. And, you know, in those couple ways, look to recoup that value later on. Um, if the fit was right, and just by the interest that they had in him, you can assume that they're still going to be at least asking around on some of these other free agents that are still in the market. Yeah, just to expand on that question, though, a little bit here, um, why would uh, LeMahieu have interest in the Marlins, being that they are a rebuilding team? Uh, exactly. Um, as Really, the prime motivation for him, I'm sure, was the money. Um, so our best estimation is that uh, the Marlins probably weren't even offering as much as the Yankees in the first place. Uh, from, I'm, from what we know about LeMahieu personally, that really is a good question. It's, uh, whether he would have chosen them, even if the offers were the same, maybe they would have had to actually offer more than the Yankees or other teams to actually get him to commit. And it's a fair question. And it's that's the tough position you're in as a rebuilding team, is that if you weren't competitive last year and in all likelihood, no matter who you bring in, you're not going to be super competitive this year with the way that the NL East division is so stacked right now. It's, it is going to be tough. Uh, I'm sure that LeMahieu isn't the only free agent they've spoken to. This offseason has gone on for a couple months now. And you can imagine that with some of the other free agents they spoke to or at least reached out to that they were turned away because those guys, some of them do really prioritize winning. And the fact that the Marlins aren't a big revenue team and that they aren't competitive right now, it makes them really difficult to entice free agents. But that's um, something that we've seen 
uh, in a couple other areas since new ownership took over is the fact that they really are focusing, uh, not in LeMahieu's case, but in a lot of other cases, on guys that have local connections, either to Miami or just the larger South Florida area, uh, either from here or went to school here. And you see that in some of the guys that they extended invites to spring training um, on non-guaranteed deals. They're guys that had a background in South Florida. And so maybe that's something that um, with some of the guys that are still out there, and there are over 100 major league free agents still out there, that that's like one detail that they really focus in on. And they target those guys who they think, despite all the other issues that I've mentioned, those are guys that might see through that in order to go somewhere where they're actually comfortable. All right, Nick, I think you have a question for Eli. I do. Um, Yeah. Uh, Going off that, um, you know, the Marlins definitely have a lot of holes in their lineup. Uh, They're rebuilding. You know, we're not expected to compete till the early 2020s. But for this season coming up, what do you believe that our team needs to get better for this season coming up to get younger, to get stronger? What do you think, what positions do you think we need to get better this season coming up? Uh, well, they have a lot of uncertainty. I mean, the biggest hole that could open up, of course, is if they trade JT Real Muto. And despite all the <laughs> how this has been really drawn on and how teams have already seemingly pulled out of their interest, eventually I do believe he's going to get traded. There's so many motivations for the team to do it, and there are contenders out there that really need him. And if they do trade him, if they trade their best player – um, and if you look at the rest of the Marlins roster right now, that opens up a just enormous hole at catcher where all of a sudden you have this huge void between Real Muto and uh, one of their high draft picks last year, Will Banfield. But he's just a teenager in the low level of the minors. You have a couple years then in between those guys, and, um, and that's even if you're expecting this draft pick to turn into a superstar. So so that's the position that totally needs to be addressed if they end up trading Real Muto. And maybe they do get a replacement catcher in that trade. That's probably um, best, again, that's best for all teams involved if they end up getting a guy that could fill in, not at the same kind of talent level, but at least someone that could play the position. That would be really important. Um, uh, aside from that, you're looking at first base. Um, they They had... Today in Jupiter, they actually had a kind of a training camp for a lot of the young hitters in the organization, and it included Peter O'Brien and Garrett Cooper. And those are two guys that would seem to be right now the leaders in the competition to get playing time at first base this coming season. Uh, Both those guys, when they're right, when they're healthy, uh, and when they're making contact, uh, they hit for tremendous power and could be productive, but almost all of their track record is in the minor leagues. Those guys... um, you just don't have a lot to go on in the major leagues to convince you that they're going to be actually quality players at the highest level. Uh, you look past them, and again, there's just not a lot of answers in the organization right now at first base. That's the kind of position where um, you could start with prospects that are playing uh, up the middle defensive position, and maybe they just convert into first baseman later in, my, in their careers, if you know what I mean, where you know it turns out that defense isn't their strong suit, but you want to keep their bat in the lineup. Um, so it's easier generally to like find a first baseman than you would at other positions because it's, uh, it generally is the easier one to play and the easier one to learn during the middle of your career. Uh, so maybe that one's not quite the same concern. 
and really, it's not a question of uh, getting more outfielders, but of course, figuring out which of the outfielders is actually effective in the major leagues. They have, uh, people have mentioned this before about how much depth they have right now in the majors and then the high minors with all these outfielders from Lewis Brinson to Victor Victor Mesa to Monte Harrison, uh, Brian Miller, McNair Sierra, and it goes on and on. They have all these guys that uh, have the athleticism to play in the outfield and have shown promise at various times in their amateur careers or early in their professional careers. Um, but, I mean, really, that's probably the top priority this season is figuring out what they have in all those outfielders, trying to get them some playing time in the major leagues. Um, some of them will be really significant players, but even the guys further down there, I mean, you want to figure out what you have and if you have ever, anything because those guys just don't have the track records. But with all the tools they have, um, it really pushes the franchise. The, the outlook of the franchise is so much brighter if it turns out that even a couple of those outfielders are really um, here to stay long-term. Yeah, yeah, for sure, 100%. And, you know, this whole team, you know, we need to have depth too. And, you know, we're talking about the young players like Sierra. We're talking about Brenton, Harrison. And and these guys aren't locked to be on the opening day lineup. Like, except for Lewis Brenton, these guys need to, you know, be ready to go. They got to play great in spring training and, no, bouncing off you said, I, I agree with you on all that. And, you know, a catcher, we, if we do trade, trade Real Muto, a lot of possibilities could open up. Could we potentially land Cody Bellinger, um, Alex Verdugo maybe from the Dodgers? You know, there's been a lot of talk between those two and the Braves. And, yeah, you know, everything you got to say is, you know, it's kind of what we need to do here. Um, Barry, I, I'm assuming you have another question for Eli. I certainly do, and it concerns payroll. Uh, the Marlins currently stand at about $75 million on the books. Uh, do you see the Fish increasing their payroll by adding some quality free agents to serve as mentors for the really young players, or might they sign some experienced players who could be in the future plans for the Marlins? I, so there's been this expectation um, not coming from me personally, but from Joe Frasaro at MLB.com. He's been so convinced that um, they're, they'll end up in a much higher neighborhood, closer to $100 million, really similar to last year. But to bridge that gap, you really are uh, – there's only so many guys in the free agent pool right now that would bridge that gap. So it's either uh, his estimation is a little bit optimistic or it was maybe just not all that realistic in the first place. Uh I do believe they will sign somebody. Uh, Remember, last year it took them all the way towards spring training for them to bring in major league free agents. And the guy they got was Cameron Maiden, who was uh, someone that was really popular in that clubhouse. And he struggled for the early part of the year. But then he got hot at just the right time, and they were able to flip him to Seattle. And that trade brought them back an important young prospect in Bryson Brigman. And it brought them some international bonus money that they ended up giving to secure the Mesa brothers. And it turned out, so if you look all the way back to that little major league signing of a veteran player who um, didn't really have a lot of interest elsewhere, um, and you follow the whole chain reaction of the consequences that came out of that, it proved to be really important. And so for that reason, I think they will look to guys that at the very, very least could be positive influences in the clubhouse. Um I mean, there's there's so many guys out there. It's, it's hard to even, like, pick out specific examples of who they would go after. But 
yeah, you want to prioritize um, really the most important consideration when they look at these free agents is guys on short-term deals. Um, even with DJ LeMahieu, he was the guy that ended up taking two years. Um, and you really don't want to go any farther beyond that uh, because of all the talent that you have coming up through the farm system. You don't want to block anybody, and uh, you don't want to spend too much money at the same time because, again, the focus, as we all know, is a couple of years down the road and not at the present moment. But, uh, I, yeah, really they should be open-minded to some of the positions we mentioned. If they end up trading Real Muto, open to the remaining free agent catchers, open to um, – there's a plethora of guys that can play first base or corner outfield spot. Um, and it there's re- <laughs> you're really talking about dozens of players that are still out there that have substantial major league experience – um, and guys that maybe, if you look back far enough in their careers, may have been all-star quality players. Um, you want to just look at free agents out there that, again, could be have on those short-term deals that have something in their past, um, either just their personality or just some actual tangible accomplishments that when they sit down next to a young player, they have credibility. And that's really how you connect with these young players is bring in veterans that have some credibility um, and that those young players will listen to and learn good habits from those guys. Uh, so, I, I mean, the, the list is enormous. Uh, I would expect they come away with somebody, um, aside from those positions, maybe even in the bullpen. I think that's the most obvious spot that we haven't even touched on is the bullpen. <laughs> Last year they were arguably the worst bullpen in baseball, uh, and it's so easy to pick up a reliever on a one-year deal, um, and if he turns out, if he just has a brief hot streak as your closer or a setup guy, you end up flipping him at the trade deadline and getting real value in return. So that seems like the safest prediction to make is that they'll end up signing a major league reliever with some closing experience. Nick, I think you got another question, right? I do have another question. Um, but before I do ask that question, we do have to go to our first break. Uh, we will be back. Uh, after this short message, and yeah, we'll see you after the break. Hello, everyone. This is Nick from the Mullins Catch Podcast. Please make sure to tune in to our first episode on January 7, 2019. We will be discussing many topics such as the Mullins' new logo, changes to Mullins Park, the naming rights, trades, free agency signings, players who were cut in the offseason, 2019 MLB draft, 2019 MLB prospects that are on the Marlins and the TV deal. This will be all found on Blog Talk Radio and we have so many more. On the first episode, we will be talking about 2008. What's going on guys? This is Nick from the Marlins Kids Podcast. Make sure you guys tune in to our second episode tomorrow night as we will be actually joined by Eli from the Fish Stripes Company. He writes a lot of the articles and is a member of the Fish Stripes community. He's been there for a while. We are very excited to have him on. He will be our first guest. But we will be talking about all Marlins news, all Marlins offseason needs, everything going off the fish to catch up with. Uh, we're very excited to do this. Our first guest coming on. Uh, you definitely do not want to miss it. It is 7.30 Eastern tomorrow night. And you guys definitely do not want to miss it. Uh, looks like... What's up, guys? Um, looks like that was my ad for some reason. <laughs> uh, but yeah, we are back from the we are back from the break. Um, Eli, I do have 
uh, another question for you. This is actually a fan question that I want to ask you first, and then me and Barry can add up later. This question is actually from you know from the mailbag that is Instagram. You actually just ask them there. Just go to my Instagram, Marlins underscore underscore news, and ask them there. But this question is from KJ Syrup asking, what's the number one goal for the Marlins going into this season? Uh, Eli, I'd like to ask you first, what do you think our goal is for the fish in this season? Uh, I'll go with the same line that you've probably heard from Derek Jeter, and you want improvement, and that seems a little bit vague, but in any form, you want to see that this group is closer to a championship. You You know they're not close relative to most other teams, but you want to see progress relative to last year. So what is that? That really comes in the form of just being able to identify some of these controllable major league players, guys that are cheap right now and that still have upside to get better. You want to be able to identify more members of the core of this team, the eventual core that will lead you to a championship. If you look at last year, how many guys are we really sure about are going to be here like when this team turns the corner? And there's really not that many. They brought in someone like Lewis Brinson that had uh, so much potential and hype that came with him, and he took a big step back compared to what they were expecting last year. Um, Sandy Alcantara from the Cardinals in that trade, uh, another guy that uh, came with terrific tools, and we saw a little bit of him in the major leagues, but not enough to really be convinced. These are guys that... Um, you're going to lean heavily on this coming year, and you want and you want desperately more than anything else. Those are the guys you want to succeed, even as the rest of the team relative to other teams in the division. Uh, that, that's almost irrelevant because you know the focus is not on right now from a team perspective. Um, but you really do want to root for certain individuals on this team, the guys that uh, contractually are going to be here for a long time and that are going to fit into a relatively small market payroll. Um, so Brinson, Alcantara, Pablo Lopez, Trevor Richards, uh, these top prospects coming up later in the year, like Monte Harrison or Victor Victor Mesa, uh, even at shortstop, maybe JT Riddle puts it together after battling injuries the past couple of years. Brian Anderson, of course. Brian Anderson is probably that one guy last year that really solidified himself as someone you can lean on, someone that is a really well-rounded player, a versatile player, uh, a humble and selfless player. So you want more of those kind of guys that you can really trust to build around. And as a whole, you just want to see improvement, and specifically you want to see improvement of the guys that are going to be here for a long time um, because by building that core, that's where you're going to get to the point where you can attract free agents, where you can attract fans, which might be the most important thing for this franchise, given the history of this franchise and its relationship with fans. Um, yeah, you want to start being able to see that core forming before your eyes and actually producing in the major leagues. All right. And uh, yeah. being that you brought up Brian Anderson, let me ask you this. Do you think he could become the leader of the clubhouse? It's possible, I suppose. Um, I I think at the bare minimum, what he did last year is he established himself as someone who's going to be there for a long time and someone that you can trust at the bare minimum to be a solid starting everyday player. And, I mean, that was a streak that um, 
probably something that I paid more attention more than most other things last year is how deep he went into the year playing every single game and starting every single game in this era where players are treated very, very carefully. Um, and he, he was someone that battled through it throughout most of the year and ended up playing almost every single game the entire year with how rare that is. Um, yeah, I, I think he's, he's one asset that they could be really sure about. Um, they they have so many other just bright prospects coming up through the system that we've touched on already. So I don't want to say that necessarily it's all about Brian Anderson and that the clubhouse is going to revolve around him uh, because Lewis Brinson, for example, is someone that just has just an excellent personality and excellent potential as well. And if he's someone that ends up figuring out how to put more balls in play this coming year, uh, combined with his base running and his defense, he's a guy that all of a sudden he is equally important, perhaps, in that clubhouse. Uh, Pablo Lopez, um, just off the charts, intelligent and generous with his time. He's probably been the most visible Marlin this entire offseason with what he's done in the community. Uh, he's been involved in a couple of parades in South Florida, uh, spending almost his whole offseason down here, um, even though it was just his first full year in the Marlins organization. Uh, so I don't want to limit it to Brian Anderson or focus entirely on him, but yeah, you want more guys like Brian Anderson for sure. He's a good example for everybody else. And I love yeah, the way he sure. is yeah. on the field. It's like he doesn't even crack a smile at any time. He's serious from the beginning of the game to the end of the game. At the end of the game, you'll see a bit of a smile, but he's got that serious look. He's, let's get down the business the attitude. That's the way I look at him. Right. And uh, personally, I, I'm someone that advocates for players to be, uh, if possible, if it suits their style, I, I don't mind at all guys that are, are a little more energetic out there that like to be a little bit flamboyant and like to celebrate in their own successes on the field. Uh, I think a lot of fans are drawn to that too, the energy. So that's his style and that works really well for him. Um, but uh, it's it's great to have other guys coming up through the system that are a little bit more energetic as well. Just have just have a nice blend of personalities and styles. I mean that's good for everybody. Um, he's yeah, like I said, he's he's a great example for everybody else. Um, he's but uh, yeah, if everything goes right with who they have in the system right now and they all progress as we hope they do and they're all comfortable in Miami, then you're going to have a nice diversity of personalities on the Marlins and all the guys that can succeed in their different ways. Nick, you got some questions too, don't you? Yeah. Um, actually, to go back on what you said about Pablo Lopez, about him, you know, giving out to the community, doing a lot for the, you know, Miami area. I actually had conversations with Pablo Lopez via Instagram. Uh, extremely nice guy. Um, but yeah, going back to that Brian Anderson that he's locked in, you know, he's ready to go. I do believe he is the face of the franchise, but another question actually that involves, uh, fish tracks. We haven't really been getting involved with you and the company over there. Um, when you're making your articles, when you're thinking of ideas to put in an article, Eli, how, what makes you, how do you think of those really good ideas, those topic names, like, what makes you really get into detail with all that? Yeah, it's 
social media is a pretty powerful thing. I mean, by seeing things that uh, just come across your timeline on, on Twitter and Instagram that, that people are engaged with, um, you get a better feel for what impacts people. For um, uh, Before you go through an entire article, you, you just want to see what fans care about and what they prioritize uh, and just use your best judgment. Because at the end of the day, um, the articles and everything we put out on Fish Stripes is to serve the fans, right? So even though fans have slightly different tastes, even though um, some of them are focused on different parts of the organization, uh, yeah, the most important thing is just being aware about what the fans care about and things that they might share amongst themselves. Uh, sometimes even further, you want to find things that cross, um, go across fan bases that aren't just necessarily limited to the Marlins. Uh, there have been a lot of stories that we've uncovered um, by speaking to minor league players on their way through the farm system where you just find background stories that are really compelling and things you can relate to. You, you find guys that were um, that were long shots at various points in their baseball careers that um, had to go through ups and downs uh, through moments of doubt and had to overcome that or had to make adjustments. They struggled at certain levels and had to figure it out. And in those situations, you can really connect with those players as a reader. And so that's the most powerful thing is when finding something going on with the team with uh, at a deeper level or with a specific player uh, that's relatable. You want to find something that people that are not professional athletes and uh, I have some good former athletes on my staff, but we're not, none of us were professionals. Uh, the, we want to find things that just average people can relate to in these in these players that we really look up to sometimes as, as superheroes or as being something else. Uh, but when you dig down deeper, you just find a lot of similarities to them. So it's all driven by just finding those connections um, that could be both fun and sometimes very emotional and um, sometimes just really informative, sometimes just shedding light on something that is not really being mentioned in the public space. We want to just add something to the conversation. Okay. Yeah, for sure, man, for sure. And um, But, yeah, uh, Eli, I do really appreciate you joining us today. It was a great surprise for you to come on to answer all these questions for us. Uh, I know I'm out of questions. Barry, are you done? No, I got one. I have one more question I want to ask. Okay, and it's going to go back, actually, the last year. Okay. Uh, I felt last year, uh, before Jeter took over, that the Marlins had a, had an offensive lineup and a defensive lineup that were pretty good, that could contend for a playoff position. I felt that they were, I guess you could say, short on pitching. And uh, with a few moves in pitching, uh, well, the Marlins could have been a contender. But Jeter came in, and he started tearing it down because he felt that that we were not close as a contender. What are your thoughts on that? Uh, if you were the owner like Jeter, would you have torn it down, or would you be willing to go out and land some pitching in this particular case? Well, uh, I'll tell you, I might not have made the exact moves that Derek Jeter did, but anybody that would have taken over this team um, in the day and age that we live in, where we can quantify certain things about an organization, I think everybody coming in and trying to run this thing responsibly would have come to the same conclusion, that you had to take a step back 
before moving forward. Um, I mean, there's certain things that you can fix with money. You know, the fact that when he took over, it was a team that um, did actually spend more on payroll than the average team did, and there was room to grow on that if you're an extremely wealthy person. Uh, and that's not Derek Jeter. That, the main money guy behind the Marlins right now is Bruce Sherman. He's the guy that's a multi-billionaire. And if you look at it that way, maybe he's a guy that could have put more money on the team to address certain holes, but that just wouldn't have been sustainable. Because again, the issue that happened with what new ownership took over is that there was nothing in the pipeline. This team didn't have any depth. Even though they had the singular talents that everybody knows and loves, with Stanton and Yelich and Ozuna, uh, et cetera, and D. Gordon and Real Muto. Even though they had really great starters at all these different positions, they just didn't have depth. If any of these guys went through a significant injury, um, you just the drop-off between them and the next guy up was terrible. And uh, some of that is who we had in place in the front office um, acquiring prospects through the draft or by developing them. They just didn't do a good job. They had that one wave that brought in all the established stars, and they didn't do well enough on the wave that came behind them. And without that depth, you just don't have something sustainable. Because eventually, if you're a star player, all these star players get paid. Um, All these guys, they were either on big contracts like Stanton, or they were on uh, more friendly contracts like Yelich, but that eventually were backloaded enough to make them – Real, like relatively high-earning players. Uh, all these guys get paid eventually, and what you need is you need depth behind them that's really affordable and that if there's an injury, that depth keeps you in contention. It keeps you afloat through all the adversity. And this team had arguably the worst farm system in baseball for a couple of years running when the ownership change happened. So they realized they needed to – that this was not sustainable with what they had. And the only way to fix that farm system, to bring it from the bottom – even to really the middle of the pack, which is where they are now, and to eventually bring it to one of the best and deepest systems in the league, is you had to tear down. You had to move the proven guys for more controllable, um, high-potential guys in those prospects and align it in such a way that when those prospects come of age and they reach their primes, they do it at the same time, and they're all affordable in that moment, and you have a window that opens really wide for them to be a legitimate contender. They had all these really three or four separate cycles in the last 15 years where they tried to patch it together at certain positions um, to try to keep the team successful. But the worst place you can be in sports today is stuck in the middle without hope, knowing that you need to overpay to make really small improvements. You don't want to be stuck in the middle. You want to, as painful as it is, you want to take that step back in order to set yourself up for sustainable success. And I think they're steadily doing that. They still have a couple of these significant trade pieces to move, to really hit rock bottom before building up. And uh, But we're already seeing the fact that the new front office under Jeter, not just him himself, but the experienced talent evaluators below him, they know the game better than – those who worked under Jeffrey Loria. And they're going to do, they're already doing a better job at identifying people in the draft and in international free agency and actually getting them signed. Eventually, that, that is going to pay off, but it's going to be a process. Um, they need to do really well in this upcoming MLB draft where they have the number four overall pick. Um, and they're going to have to do well again in 2020 where they might have, a, again, another very, very high draft pick. Um, but 
then it's all up from here. It's all up. It, they, they're really close to hitting this ground level. There's enough talent coming into the organization and the right people at the controls that uh, this is the most responsible path to being successful. And uh, so I support that. We're going to be following that very closely. We're not afraid to criticize the team uh, because they do make mistakes on and off the field. Um, but overall, uh, it's encouraging and it's more exciting than um, what these fans have had in a long time. Mm-hmm. Well, we mm-hmm. really appreciate your opinions and your answers to our questions this evening. I'm certainly happy we had you on the show tonight. And uh, I will tell you, I hope we can uh, have you back on the show in the near future again. You're, you're a wealth of knowledge as far as the Marlins are concerned. Yeah, congrats to you guys on launching the pod. Uh, I'll be listening to every episode and uh, looking forward to a fun year. So thank you guys. Thank you so much, and uh, take care. You too. Bye. All right. Bye. All right, guys. That was Eli from Fish Stripes. Uh, very happy that he could join us today. Uh, but going on, uh, Barry, we do have some topics to discuss as well. Um, I would like to start by asking you, Barry, what are your opinions about JT Real Muto? Should he stay on the roster? or should we trade him to dodge into the Braves? Do you believe that it is smart to keep him on the roster now and then take the risk of not having him for the next for next year? Or would you want to trade him for young pieces right now? What do you thought? What do you thought? Well, I'm I'm very partial to JT Riomoto. He is a leader, there is no doubt about it. Uh the benefits of him staying here Well, he is uh, somebody who's going to be able to help the young pitchers. He's going to be able to teach the young pitchers from the catcher's perspective of where the ball needs to be thrown, what pitches need to be thrown. So he can, because of his experience, be very good for the young pitchers on the staff. But going beyond that, by necessity, the way this team is laying out now, I believe that he needs to be traded. There is no doubt in my mind about that. I believe there's a hole out there for the Marlins. As long as the Marlins don't get too greedy, I think that we can get some really, really good quality players back. I believe teams that are still in the running are the Atlanta Braves, uh, the Los Angeles Dodgers, the Cincinnati Reds, the San Diego Padres, uh, the Tampa Bay Rays, and an interesting team, and I think this might be the number one landing spot for Rio Muto, is the Houston Astros. Uh, they've got a lot of players that they could package in, to, and we could pull a nice haul by working out a deal with them. Nick, what are your thoughts on this? I personally do not agree uh, with, your, with um, him going to the Astros. I think the Astros have pulled out. Um, a little while ago about his acting price. I don't think they were on board with it. I do believe that the Dodgers are trying the hardest for him. They are probably the only team that still thinks that they can get him for a little bit of a cheaper cost. But unfortunately, I do not agree with this, but Miami is not lowering its, uh, its uh, price tag on him. I'm not too happy about that. But I do, in fact, want to um, get him traded because um, – you know, I feel like that will be better for the franchise because 
you would like to build around a young a catcher like that, 27-year-old catcher who came off a career year, uh, regarded as the best catcher in the league. But if you can get young pieces like that, people are saying Bellinger, Ozzy Albies. I would love to have even one of those on our roster that we can build around with these young group of kids coming in. Um, I would love to do that. But, yeah, your thoughts on JT, Astros. I My prediction is he will be headed to the L.A. Dodgers. But following that, we do have to go to another break. Um, we will see you guys in a little bit as we do have to go to break. So This week on FanCast, will the Bryce be right? We will discuss the latest rumors on the Phillies meeting with Harper and Vegas and when Phillies fans can expect an offer to be made. After hearing so much about new additions to the fight in Phils, it's easy to look past the news that ace Aaron Nola is headed to an arbitration hearing, which we will break down and explain. After the Yankees signed DJ LeMahieu this past week, is it time to rule out Manny in the Bronx? We'll talk about the possible landing spots for Machado, and if the Phillies could possibly come away with both superstars. We will take callers and hear the fans' opinions on who you prefer in Philly. Harper or Machado? With a news-filled week approaching and the Phillies bound to make moves, we will keep you up to date. Be sure to listen in on the newest episode of FanCast, The Bryce is Right. Hello everyone, my name is Eamon and I am one of the hosts at Pinstripe Talk. On Tuesday, January 9th at 5 o'clock, we will be covering more of the crazy offseason for the Yankees. From Zach Britton re-signing and seeing what the rest of the bullpen goes now that David Robertson is gone, to also seeing where and if Machado or Harper come to New York. All this will be featured on this week's episode of Pinstripe Talk. And we are back, guys, from the ad. Um... So, Barry, I want to get into another topic real quick. Uh, there was so much speculation about the stadium, the renovations going on. I know we talked a little bit about this last episode, but then the the pictures were released of the home run sculpture replacements, everything going on around that. Barry, I know you don't technically agree with the home run sculpture replacement that we've had undisclosed conversations about that, but Barry, can I get your opinion about what's going on with the stadium? Are you on board or are you not on board? Well, I'm, I'm on board, but uh, to tell you the truth, I'm sad. The sadness comes that you're taking away an icon as far as I'm concerned of the Marlins. Uh, the, uh, the, the, the statue to me was a drawing point. It was, uniquely different than any other stadium out there, and we've taken away the stadium's identity. Yes, it's outside of the stadium now, but it's sort of sad to me that it had to be moved. But, you know, things change. Environments change. Ownership changes. They have a different view of things. I'll get used to it. Uh, Again, I don't agree with it, but I'll get used to it. It's not going to stop me from going to games. I love the the Marlins. I love... uh, watching games there, and it's going to be a little different feel uh, this time around when we start going to games again. Uh, I'm also looking for just a little change of pace here. I'm looking forward to spring training, seeing what all the young guys are going to be all about, what they can do, what they can't do, who's major league ready, who's not. 
and I think you're in a position where you're you're probably thinking the same thing as I am. I, am I right, Nick? Yeah, definitely. Uh, I've always been big in spring training, as I love seeing the young young players coming uh, coming over to spring training, working their butts off, trying to get on the major league roster. And we saw it last year with some of the players like like Lewis Brenton, Trevor Richards, Brian Anderson. We all saw we saw those players, and yeah, I'm very excited for spring training. But going back to the stadium, I'm actually on board with it. I love how they're changing the lime green walls to the blue. I think that really fits the Miami culture. I'm loving the black jerseys, and we will get into the jerseys uh, later. But I'm loving the stadium, how they have the, the three-porch deck out in center. As That's a great idea. So if you want to go there and catch some home runs and batting practice, go right along to – center field and pretty cheap tickets too so just go over there and try to catch as many balls you want uh, I'm loving the idea about that I really am and before we get into our next topic I do want to let you guys know that there is a big announcement coming at the end of about next week podcast you guys so make sure you guys stay tuned in till the end there's a big news about next week's podcast for sure but uh going back to that um Barry Another thing I want to talk to you about is the starting rotation. Five men will be starting the rotation for the Marlins on opening day. I would like—I want to know what you think. What five pitchers will be starting on opening day, and who you think will be the opening day starter? Well, before I answer that question, Nick, I got one question for you. Did you get your new Marlins hat? I did get my new Marlins hat, actually. Uh, last month, I did get my Marlins hat. The new logo and everything on it. Um, Barry, did you get your new Marlins hat? It's on order. It hasn't come in yet. And I cannot believe uh-huh. I have not received it. You actually, for the first time, beat me to the punch, Nick. I can't believe it. You right. got yours before I got mine. <laughs> and the jersey's coming in soon. Jersey's coming in soon. All but, right, yeah, Barry, I'll, I'll tell you what, I'll tell you what. Let's get into the starting pitchers. Uh, and I'm going to ha- ask for your help on this as well. As far as I'm concerned, the opening day pitcher should be Dan Straley. There's no doubt in my mind. His experience uh, says it all. I realize he was hurt last year. Uh, you know, he missed some time. But he's got the experience. He, he's got the knowledge. He's got the know-how. And he's the guy that I want to see start the first game with the Marlins. Uh, He should be their opening day pitcher. There's no doubt in my mind. And he's the number one ace that we have right now. And there's no doubt in my mind that he's going to have a fantastic season. Nick, who do you think our number two should be? Our number two, I actually was going to say Dan Straley. I believe our ace of the team will end up being Jose Urania. Uh, Unfortunately, it wasn't a great start to the opening day for Urania on the first pitch with a home run by Ian Happ of the Chicago Cubs. But I do think Dan Straley will be our number two. And But, Barry, if, by going into deep, like what, who do you think will be the number third? I like how we're going back and forth here. So I think this is a great idea. Barry, who do you think is going to be number three? I do think Dan Straley will be the number two. But actually, Barry, do you believe that Jose Urania will be the number two starter? Yeah, I believe he should be the number two starter. There's no doubt in my mind about that. I know you think he's the number one starter, so I guess we've got to agree to disagree here. But I like the idea of 
Urena being number two, he had a tremendous uh, last month of the season. It, it, he, I, I believe he went 5-0 and uh, towards the end of the season, and uh, he really brought it on. He's a, he's a player that's going to be with the Marlins for quite some time. And uh, I'll tell you, there's not much difference between him and Straley other, other than the fact that uh, that Straley's got the uh, you know the experience on him. It's just as simple as that. Barry, what are your thoughts about Sandy Alcantara being the wild card coming in here? As you got him from the Ozuna trade uh, last year, and he made an impact late into the season. He has a couple problems with his command. Was walking a couple batters, but you know he looked pretty nice. Don Manley liked him a lot. Do you consider him the future ace of the team? Yes, I do. Yes, I definitely do. Uh, I liked him in spring training last year. Uh, I think he was brought up a little bit too soon, so that might have given him a little bit of regression. Then he got hurt along the way, but I foresee him as actually becoming in several years maybe the ace of the team. Uh, he's in the mold, as far as I'm concerned, of a Jose Fernandez type. Uh, and that would be something great for the Marlins. No doubt in my mind he's going to be the future of the Marlins pitching staff. Yeah, I agree with you. Sandy Alcantara is the future of this team. I do like him a lot. I think this guy has great command. I do think that he is the future. I do agree. But actually, going back to Jose Urania, this is kind of an off-topic thing, but it does have to do with the Marlins. I want to know what your opinions are as our, our NL East divisional rivals, the Atlanta Braves. Do you believe when the Braves play the Marlins, Jose Urania on the mound, history with Ronald Acuna Jr., if you guys are not known why, because he actually plunked him um, the first pitch in the game to Ronald Acuna, and there was a big brawl, and Acuna got hurt for, for a couple of weeks. Do you see some fireworks going on between the two uh, when they play? God, I hope not, but it's always a possibility. You know, memories are short, and memories can be sweet, but the memory here is I got punked by, uh, by a Marlins pitcher. I don't like it. I got to get my revenge somehow that's maybe the way he's thinking whether he would get the revenge or not I don't know I certainly hope that doesn't occur but again you know you got to put it put it into perspective these guys are professionals things happen it's the heat of the moment it's just the way it is uh but I got to ask you a question Nick okay everyone everyone says Alcantara you and I say Alcantara. That's really right. I want to know. You know what? I say Alcantara, I you know. say Alcantara. Eli said Alcantara. The Marlins broadcasters say Alcantara. What is really right? <laughs> I'm going to be honest with you. I don't know. I don't have the inside scoop here. I think the only way you can really know is if you ask Sandy Alcantara yourself. Because if the whole – I'm going to be honest with you, the broadcasters are saying Alcantara, Eli saying Alcantara, he works for Fish Stripes, he's part of the Marlins organization. I have a feeling Sandy is saying something to them. And I like Alcantara better, but I think I'm going to actually have to ask him 
uh, at FanFest. FanFest is February 9th at Mullins Park, guys. Just letting you guys know. But I will probably have to ask him there. Say, Sandy, how do you pronounce your last name? I've been dying to know. Is it Alcantara or is it Alcantara? I need to know this question. But, yes, that is a good question. But, guys, we are into our final 10 minutes, and I want to change gears quickly here. Uh, Barry, I want to talk about the bullpen. Uh, it's been a constant issue last year. We were blowing games, um, traded some of those pieces away, like Brad Ziegler. We traded Brad Ziegler away, uh, part of the bullpen. Adam Conley stepped up in the bullpen very nicely, very nicely. Drew Rider, potential closer. He played well as well. Who do you see as our closer? Do we pick up someone from free agency, or are we going to – Put second rider Conley. Who are we gonna make our closer? I like second rider. I like Conley, and uh, I think Conley is the top lefty arm that we have. He's six foot three. Uh, I think he figures into the closer role this year. Uh, he finished with a three and four record. He had a 4.09 ERA and a 108 WHIP, and he had three saves. He's got the experience to step up. He's got the mentality to step up. He's got that closer's attitude. I foresee him as the closer of the Marlins this year. Okay. Um, it actually looks like we are almost out of time here, but we do actually have to go to one more commercial break. So this will be a quick ad. So we'll be right back. What is up, guys? Eddie Yellen here, featuring my new Mets account, New York Mets 69, featuring team status, team wins, team updates, and team scores overall. We also have live Q&As weekly that feature other teams than the Mets. So far, we've had a Yankees Q&A and a Mets Q&A. Tonight, we're having a Phillies Q&A at 4.40 p.m. Eastern Time, so be sure to follow New York Mets 69. Okay, guys, we are back as we are actually closing out the show. But the big news, guys, is this. Be prepared for next week's episode on the Marlins Catch. We will be joined by Marlins starting pitcher Dan Straley. That's right. Dan Straley will be on next week on the podcast. Make sure you guys definitely tune in. This is a big um, guest coming on, guys. Me and Barry are very excited to see Dan on here. But without further ado, I appreciate you guys so much for joining. Thank you guys so much. Barry, I want to close out. Yes, and I, I appreciate everyone as well being, uh, being our listeners here. Be sure to tune in next week. Nick and I will have some captivating information for you, a lot of good news. And uh, until then, we wish you a wonderful, wonderful day, a great week. And we'll see you next Monday night at 730 on the Marlins, uh, Marlins Network here, the Marlins cast catch. We will be here for you. Don't miss a single episode. Thanks for joining us this evening. Have a great evening. See you guys later.
Judy was boring. Hello. Then Judy discovered Jumbacasino.com. It's my little escape. Now Judy's the life of the party. Oh, baby, mama's bringing home the bacon. Whoa, take it easy, Judy. <laughs> The Chumba life is for everybody. So go to ChumbaCasino.com and play over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Lucky Land Casino. Asking people, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kid's PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.